0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Good evening. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4, where we were last week, but we're going to focus just on verse Verses 8 and 9 tonight, really verses 8. But anyway, let's start there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there is anything excellent and in, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen of me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word of rebuke and encouragement, Father, we pray that we would be sensitive to the conviction of your Holy Spirit, and we also pray that you'd strengthen us to follow your word, God, to honor you, and to receive the blessings that come uh, from having the God of peace at the center of our life. In your Son's name, amen. So the major theme of Philippians can be summed up as an exhortation to living out the joy of unity in the body of Christ through a heavenly mindset. Um, If I had to further simplify Philippians, I'd simply say it's a book about unity. And uh, in chapters 1 and 2, you can see this mainly dealt uh, with unity in more of a macro sense. Uh, Paul is calling the whole church to be united in Christ, and he's telling the whole church how to accomplish such unity, namely through having the mind of Christ. So in chapter 3, Paul continues to develop the theme of unity by calling them to avoid the divisiveness of the Judaizers. He, in essence, is saying, don't unite with these men because they will lead you away from a single-minded pursuit of God. So he's still dealing with the issue of unity in a big picture, but he's brought it down a level. Right? He's moved from the abstract to the more concrete, from the general to the more specific. And then in chapter 4, Paul continues this trend and brings the theme of unity down even further to the micro level. He deals with a specific case of division between two women. And what's more basic than just two people being at odds? Resolving a church in disharm- uh, disharmony uh, is like unwinding a big ball of Christmas lights. You ever have those Christmas lights all tied up? I think everyone has in that, uh, that one old Christmas movie. They bring out that huge ball. Um, I think of it every year. Uh, It can be uh, a complicated and frustrating task, uh, and no matter how big uh, the ball is, how bad things are presently, they almost certainly start just with two people being at odds. The sidewalk is uh, breaking up in my backyard, and if you look at it, you can see where the first fracture was. It was like a big fracture, and it weakened the whole structure, and from that, there's more cracks and fractures coming. And so it is uh, with church uh, unity and disunity. So Paul is bringing his teaching on unity to bear on the Philippians specifically in the most basic, simplest situation. He's moving from the macro to the micro. It would seem it could get no more basic, right? I mean, how many, two is the most, is the least you can have to be divided, right? You have to have, for there to be division, at least two, right? We can have division with three, four. Hundred, a thousand, whatever, but it would seem that you can't have division with less than two. Uh, But that's not uh, where Paul goes. We saw last week that even an individual can be divided. Uh, In verse 6, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing. And the Greek word for anxious means drawn in opposite directions, divided in parts, or uh, to go to pieces because you're being pulled apart. So it describes the internal division of a mind. It's a state of mental unease that comes from a mind being divided against itself. It's worry or concern that pulls you apart. It's a feeling of going to pieces. The anxious man is a divided man, and instability will spring forth from that internal division. The inner life, then, of the believer is key to the unity of the church. And that's that's what Paul's driving at in this whole section. He says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. In verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. In verse 6, be anxious for nothing. All those commands relate to your inner life, right? Joy, gentleness, and the lack of anxiety. That's all happening inside. The joyful, gentle Christian who works through his worries in prayer will never be a source of division. He never will be. Quite the opposite. He'll be the stabilizing force that strengthens the body in its pursuit of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So unity and disunity starts with each individual Christian. The state of your inner spiritual life will affect the long-term spiritual health of your church. That's how this is all related. Let me back up this claim even more so with uh, some more scripture. Consider James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. James says, what is the source of your quarrels and conflicts among you? In other words, where does the disunity come from? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, a messed up inner life is the source of that division. Then he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So how how does the messed up inner uh, life come? Uh, It's a combination of of a lack of prayer, and a selfish mindset. And that's been Paul's whole way of dealing with disunity, telling people to have the mind of Christ, to put others before yourself, right? To pray, to offer up these thoughts to the Lord. It's the exact same teaching that we're getting in Philippians. Joyful unity comes from each individual Christian emulating the selflessness of Christ and offering up their request to God, which brings us to our text tonight. In verse 8, Paul says, finally, in verse 8, uh, he's giving another, that's what I love about Philippians. There's always key words to know where he's turning, uh, building the argument, therefore, finally. Uh, and as you start to, st- when you study or preach through a book like this, you start to see the superstructure of the book. And it's, it's very uh, satisfying. This indicates that Paul is bringing this entire section that began, began in verse uh, 1, of chapter 4, to conclusion. There's a reason Paul wants them to be united. There's a reason that Paul, Paul wants them to be undivided both corporately and individually. And here it is. In a nutshell, division internally and externally takes our eyes off God. Unity internally and externally allows us to put the focus back on God. That's what he cares about. Remember what Paul said back in Philippians 3? Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. The mind that is weighed down with anxious thoughts is not pressing towards the goal. It is focused entirely on the temporal concerns of life. And life has real difficulties. It has real troubles, but those troubles don't have to result in a troubled, distracted, divided mind. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So we're, uh, we deal with our anxious thoughts through prayer. We are to neither ignore or stew, stew in them. We aren't to be a happy, clappy, shallow man. Right, that's like, don't worry, be happy. Right, Bobby McFerrin. And we're not to be the darker, dreary pessimistic man. And that's a uh, uh, sound of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. You know. so we're not to fall into either one of those. No, we are to face our anxious thoughts and offer them up to God. This makes us into a peaceful man. A man that is undivided. A man whose heart and mind is guarded by God. There may be a thousand troubles in the world. But none of those things cause trouble for our king. He makes much food from little. He can calm the stormy sea. He can overcome the prison of death. He's able to deal with our difficulties. And that ushers in peace. Matthew Henry says, This peace will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will keep us from sinning under our troubles and from sinking under them. Keep us calm and sedate without discomposure of passion. And with inward satisfaction. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Now a peaceful mind is to be put to work. The removal of worrisome distractions is the first step in a properly ordered thought life. Right? So that's what he dealt with in the previous. You know, offer these concerns up to God. Don't be anxious for anything. But the second step is to dwell on the excellent things. The peace of God allows us to dwell on the God of peace. Suddenly we see the providential hand of God in the, uh, working in the world all around us. Right? In the chapter, uh, early in this chapter, uh, he said the Lord is near. So instead of being focused on self, we turn our mind to dwell on the work of God in the world. Uh, we are to be a people that meditate on the things of God. That's the whole purpose of all of this. Is it not? Is, it's not just to get peace it's not just a calm mind but a mind that's focused on god and not caught up with the things of the world in such a way that we we stop praising and worshiping and and loving the lord that's why he says finally with all this in mind finally do these things thomas hooker said meditation is a serious intention of the mind whereby we come to search out the truth and settle, on it, um, settle it on the heart. Watson says, Meditation is the soul's retiring of itself, that by a serious and solemn thinking upon God, the heart may be raised up to heavenly affections. Right, when we have dealt with our anxieties, the thoughts that weigh us down and distract us, when those things have been dealt with by offering them up to God in prayer, then we're able to meditate on God, right? A lot of us never grow and mature in our walk because we're constantly weighed down because we won't pray. So we're not meditating on God and His Word, on the goodness of the Lord, and we don't grow. But we are to meditate. We're to have a thought in our head, maybe a couple even. And Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Whatever's of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. Meditate. Chew. Those are the things we should be stewing on. Is that what keeps you up at night? Is that what keeps you up thinking on just the glory of God, how amazing the Trinity is, the grace poured out in us, uh, poured out on us through the cross? No, we're we're worrying about this. The spiritual state of our children we 're worried about the spiritual state of family members we 're worried about um, we 're worried about paying our bills we 're worried about our weight you know we 're worried about all sorts of things uh, that 's what keeps us up that 's what we dwell on. We have a command of the things we should dwell on second corinthians ten five speaks of the importance of casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What Paul describes here in Philippians is a practical way to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ask yourself whether or not the things you meditate on are reflected in this list. Right? I mean, we are inundated with media, even if you don't want to be. You're going to go... Sit in an office to get someone to drill in your teeth and you 're going to hear radio you 're going to walk through walmart and you're going there 's magazines you know what I used to do is the well, magazines had bad stuff on the covers, so i 'd always turn them around so that 's how you know if I was in the store i 'd just turn them all around while i 'm waiting in the line, but nowadays you turn them around, the back cover's just as bad you know uh, but there 's things we don 't want to see we don 't want to hear. Uh, we, always, we often have the radio on in our car. We often have the radio or Pandora or Spotify playing in our house. Uh, we're just constantly uh, being inundated with media, with messages. And they, they clog up our mind. Those are the things we think about. And all those things, uh, a lot of those things, not all of them, but a lot of those things exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Right? They contradict what Scripture says. And we're to bring every thought into captivity. So you have to ask yourself, uh, the things that I I meditate on, the books, the blogs, the movies, the TV shows, the radio shows, the websites, podcasts, magazines, statuses, tweets, conversations, right? All those things. uh, Think of the things that shape your thoughts. The things you dwell on. Are they reflected in that list? If I put them through that grid, now you say, Maybe you're tempted to say that's fundamentalism. I know most of you pretty well. I don't think you would. But that's what a lot of people say. No, it's not. That's Paul. That's the Holy Spirit. That scripture calls us to, uh, to judge things by that list. Are they true? That's the first thing. Now, I want to challenge you all just to take your own time to go through this list. So much could be said about each one of these attributes. But... This one thing I just want to point out, this doesn't mean fiction is wrong. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was like, is it okay to read fiction? Is like fiction like a lie? Is that wrong to read fantasy? Uh, I wasn't really sure. And, uh, but that's not what this is getting at. Fictional stories can be a powerful means of telling truth. Without a doubt. Uh, the question isn't a matter of fiction versus nonfiction. It's a matter of truth versus lie. Uh, does it agree with God's word? Is the claims it's making true? That's what you have to ask. So, think of the news sites we go to. News sites now aren't news. I don't care which side you're on, at this point. I don't whichever one you like. Most of them, it's just they're they have a narrative, they have a worldview that they're peddling. And uh, when, they, when they consistently tell lies, uh, you should note that and not continue to go to those sites. There's one site that just, I used to go to all the time, and it's a site that's more or less a collection of headlines. And then you read the headlines, you're like, no way. And you click the headline, and then you read the article, and it's not true at all. It's, it's deception. It's slander. It's twisting. And uh, that's not good. It's, it's done to, like, get people charged up and upset and share the article without reading it on Facebook. And then you click on it and read it. That's not what that article says. Right? But it doesn't lead to holiness. But you need to ask that question about whatever, whatever you read, whatever you listen to. Here's another one. Are they honorable? This word carries with it an idea of gravity or seriousness. Personally to me, really, really convicting. The Christian is to be a serious person, a serious man. I I love the turn of a phrase. I love unusual jokes. Um, you know, I can I like a guy named Emo Phillips a whole lot. It's a very particular form of jokes. Um, that's okay in moderation, like a real little moderation, um, like a shot glass of moderation. But uh we can't be a frivolous people that are just caught up with things that aren't serious, and that is Facebook, right? As you as you go through the stream, that's Twitter. Uh, that's everything now. Everything's memes, little gifs, everything's silly jokes. This is one of the problems I have with Babylon B, which is a funny Christian satire site. There's some things that should not be joked about, right? You shouldn't trivialize serious things. This is where it's fallen. We're dealing with uh, the, uh, the eternal state of people's souls. Or we're dealing with the glory of God. You should never, ever make a joke that involves, that takes God's name in vain. And they do that a lot. And I have patience for some rougher language uh, that I do not have for God's name being taken Taken in vain. Or took in vain. And uh, so we can't make jokes of virtuous things. That's the worst sort of humor that pokes fun at being holy. And that is Family Guy. And that's all these, co- uh, these uh, cartoons. That are, that are now all Facebook is a bunch of videos, more or less. It's, and, you, and it's hard not to see these things. Uh, but that also can be in books. You've got to be careful with Oscar Wilde. I Just think, when people read Oscar Wilde, he, he's very sly, and he knows how to poke fun at virtue, right? He's mocking God. He doesn't like it. And if you know anything about Oscar Wilde, you know why. Um, is it honorable? Cannot be people that meditate on trivial nonsense. Is it right? Right? This is, refers to justice. Is it a just thing to think about? Um, I'll give you an example of, of something I saw on social media. I saw this guy, this a guy that was an alleged child abuser. This man attacked him and beat him up. And I'm like, was this just? Now, as a father, what do you feel right away? Like, right, if you abused your child, you would want to do that, right? And self-righteous vengeance and all that kind of creeps up in you. And if you've ever clicked on YouTube videos and ended up like, you know, bullies, bullies getting karma or whatever, getting what they deserve. That's not justice. That's not good. God, God works at his justice through the civil magistrate, not through vigilantes. Um, and that, that's just feeding your self-righteousness, thinking that you would be a good judge. And uh, so we're watching things like this, and good, he got what he deserved. Well, first off, you don't know. You just watch 60 seconds of a video. What do you know about anything? Um, but think of what it feeds in you. And then we start to watch movies like this, where being a vigilante is glorified. Then he says, are they pure? And what this means is very simple. It means without the impurity or mixture of sin. Think about that just for a second. Without the impurity or mixture of sin. Now... I have recommended movies to people. And I said, well, there I think there is one scene in it. And you just got to, like, fast forward over that scene. You know, like you'll magically know when to fast forward. Um, but are they pure? So what he's saying is pure, without sin, without a mixture of sin. And what do you want me to do with that? It's what scripture says. It's very convicting. And I think, I always see Christians defending, watching things like Game of Thrones. It's inconceivable. And that is what that word means. Um, I, I, I don't know how we, we do this. But then I can sit here and look at them and say, okay, Lord, what are the impure things in my life that I, what I meditate on, that I dwell on? And that's what I want to urge you to do. But that's right there. And Think of the music we listen to. Think of the music that we blast through our house and the things they say. I remember when I first became a Christian. And I was like, before I was a Christian, I never listened to to lyrics or words of music. Apparently, I didn't know what they were saying. Then I became a Christian, and I started to care about what they said. I remember I was listening to Alice in Chains. And I was like, man, these guys really hate God. And I, like just cluing me in. Um, and But... Uh, we play a lot of that stuff through our house. I mean, I don't play Alice and Chains in my house. <laughs> but I was playing Pink Floyd the other day. And I was, is this good? Should I, should I be bringing this into my house? Is this pure? What is this doing to my kids? Do they meditate on it? Am I meditating on it? Why am I drawn to this? Are they lovely? Let me give you, I've given you negative examples. But uh, yesterday I caught a video of deaf people getting their hearing back, right? They have like people I've never heard Um, Through God's mercy, we have this technology where now they can start to hear. And, man, it had me in tears. It had me in tears. I'm trying not to go there now, but a husband being able to speak to his wife for the first time, right? There's this little baby, right? This little tiny guy is crying while they're shoving this thing in his ear. And then his mom says, it's okay. And he looks up and he starts to smile. (laughs) And he's just like, you know, the tears pour down. It was lovely. And here's why it's lovely. a day is coming after the resurrection where all those things will be set right. There'll be no mute people in heaven. Everyone will be able to talk. It was beautiful. It was worth meditating on. So the Christian can come and look at that and say, that's good, right? Or, or have you ever caught the videos where uh, where the woman surprises the dad? Well, surprises the husband and lets him know he's about to be a dad. And he starts crying. And you think, that's so good. That's so good in a culture that hates children. I'll share that. Share that, right? Instead of something that takes the Lord's name in vain. That's beautiful. So, there, is it lovely? Is it a good thing? He says, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. All the commentators make the same point here. Here's what Spurgeon says. If there is any really good movement in the world, help it, you Christian people. If it's not purely and absolutely religious, yet if it tends to be be to the benefit of your fellow man, if it promotes honesty, justice, purity, take care that you are on that side and do all you can to help it forward. And Matthew Henry says, the apostle would have the Christians uh, learn anything which is good of their heathen neighbors. If there be any virtue... Think of these things, imitate them in what is truly excellent among them, and let not them outdo you in any instance of goodness. We should not be ashamed to learn any good thing of bad men or of those who do not have our advantages. So there's this temptation for us to try to create a Christian bubble or a ghetto, right, where we don't have to interact with the world. Because, you know, like I'm saying, it shouldn't have any sin in it. And You are like, well, what TV show, what book, what poem, what anything? Right, So then if we, we want to find some way to, to just close off all that stuff. But that's not what's being said here. Um, it's impossible. First off, first slapping a fish on something doesn't make it Christian. Uh, much of Christian media is not lovely, pure, serious, or so forth. Uh, Emily's been playing Christian music in the minivan, because what else are you going to listen to? And I listen to a lot of it, and I just think, well, this is better than the other stuff. I'd rather just listen to classical, I suppose, or jazz. But, but some of the stuff they say, man, they're just, it's just silly, kind of stupid nonsense, just like anything else you would catch on uh, the radio. So uh, being, putting the Christian label on it doesn't make it better. Second, it's, it's impossible. Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean uh, with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. We are in the world, but not of it, right? We can learn from non-Christians. However, that takes discernment, and that's developed through meditation, and that's what people don't want. Christians don't want discernment. They don't want it to be hard. They don't want to have to weigh and work through it and pray through it and meditate and study. They want it. How many beers can I drink? How many cuss words can be in the movie? Right? It's like, what's the area? They don't want discernment. They want law that's what they really want. And we have law, but we're not going to go beyond what scripture says. And that's going to it's going to guide us and we're going to apply those things to the best of our ability. And that is what I think people are are after. You can learn a lot from non-Christians. I love Neil Postman, learn a lot from Alan Bloom. Uh, right now I'm, I'm I'm learning a lot from Sherry Turkle and some other people on the area of technology. Uh, there's a lot of things uh, that that are true that are worthwhile a lot of the classical books that we're going to have our kids read that you guys are having your kids read there are good things to learn through there's people that are shrewd um, observers of human nature and god in his grace has given them gifts of communication yeah, but you still have to think through what would you let your kid read there's a difference you know, for example there's a difference between reading some of shakespeare and reading truman capote Right, I, you'd have to weigh at what time can they, can they filter and make decisions. I mean, and also you have to learn when do you turn it off. I mean, I've watched about 20 movies in which I got like 20 minutes in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, I dealt with the first thing. and I thought, okay, maybe this is okay. Not now. But I do that with books too and with podcasts. I just stop listening to them. There's one podcast I love because it's got a comedian on it that I like. And he's really funny. And the first couple episodes are great. And now he's cussing all the time, and he's mocking our president. And uh, we might want to join in mocking our president, because sometimes he's pretty easy to mock. But that's not biblical. That's ungodly to mock our our, our rulers like that. We can criticize them, but the mocking's not good. I was like, I can't listen to this anymore in good conscience. And you just have to have discernment. You have to work through this. You have to be a prayerful person. And if you're not meditating Um, you're not going to be able to make good decisions. but That's why we should be meditating on Scripture. That's why we should be praying together. This is what a peaceful mind allows for, a mind that has these things in it, that's chewing and and, and has wisdom to apply. Uh, Verse 9, Paul says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace uh, will be with you. So in a sense, verse 8 is what you as an individual internally should be doing. These are the things you should meditate on, right? And they'll, they'll give you spiritual growth. They'll, they'll bless you in your maturity. But verse 9 is the things that the church, the Philippians, should be settled on. Now that they're in a state of peace, now they're not divided, they, they should be focusing on the example that Paul's laid out for them. His example is very important because they don't have Scripture. Right? They have the Old Testament, but they don't have the whole New Testament yet. Right? So he's saying, look, listen to what I've taught you, but also look at my example. And to learn uh, from his example and grow. And that's, when you look in church history, if you've been in the church history Sunday school, uh, I've tried to point out that when the church goes through times of great peace, that's where we see theological advancement. That's where we're able to work out the doctrines of the Trinity or whatever. Because you're not just trying to stay alive. And that's where we start to grow. And a lot of times in the early church, you have times of persecution where there's just there's not the ability uh, to, to sit back and meditate and chew on these things. It's just a very difficult time. And what's true of history on the whole is true of a church. So when a church goes through a time of division, a difficulty, uh, you're just trying to keep things together and resolve the problem. That's not. It's really hard to grow in a situation like that. But when you reach a time of peace, right? then you start to build and grow and, and march forward and make all sorts of ground as a congregation. And that's what he's saying to them. And I've already talked at length on how pastors aren't just preachers, but, past, but they are pastors. And that's what he says in Follow My Example. Uh, but he's saying, I want you to be a church of Christians that are undivided and focused on the Lord. That is the sort of church in which the God of peace dwells. The, a peaceful mind, a peaceful church is a church where they focus on God. People come into it and they say, whoa. There's something that's hard to explain when people love each other. When people uh, are, are deep waters for meditation, people sense it. It's God. God dwells in the midst of his people. And that's what this is all about. That's why you should stop worrying and pray. Offer those requests up to God so you can grow and know the Lord more. And that's why when we feel divisions between us, no matter how small, we should find a way to resolve it. Either by just saying, you know what, it's not a big deal, and letting it go, and praying to God, or just mentioning it to the person. So as a church, we can grow. And our church can uh, be or just be full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A church full of holiness. All the things that he listed in verse 8. So let's be that sort of church. Let's be those sorts of Christians. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it challenges us and that it will not let us be comfortable. Father, you know what we've watched, what we've read, and uh, and what we're being convicted of right now. We ask that your spirit would strengthen us to lay those things down and not make excuses and replace those things with things worth meditating on, God. God, we pray uh, that you would uh, bless us with peace, that you would help us to cast all our cares on you because you care for us, and, and out of that, not be weighed down with anxiety, but to be free to meditate on you, Father. We pray that our church uh, would maintain the unity of spirit as we uh, focus on you, God, that you would be the center of our church, Lord, and that you would get worship here, Lord. We ask this in name your Son, amen.